This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today I'm joined by Sarah Sunling Blackburn, an educator and personal development trainer who has received her doctorate from John Hopkins University. Her area of focus centers around developing strategies to optimize learning environments within classroom culture, with an emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusiveness. I came across a few of her writings on the Asian American experience in the classroom and stumbled upon the model minority myth. We discussed the stigma, what it means, how it affects the psychology of Asian Americans, and what we can do to further efforts in solidarity with all cultures. So I was deeply appreciative of her level of candor and willingness to share this personal and often unspoken about experience. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So I came across your article a couple of weeks ago, and it was, what is the model minority myth from teaching tolerance? And it was heavy, direct, straight to the (laughs) point. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I got to have Sarah come up and explain what this is and enlighten us. So so can you tell us about uh, the motivations for writing this article? Sure. So I have been an educator for about 12 years now. Um, I started out as a classroom teacher in rural Arkansas and Mississippi, did a master's degree in social justice and education, and then have been training and working with educators ever since. Recently finished my doctorate. So you can call me Dr. Sarah Sindling. Oh, but wow. Doctor. This is the first public <laughs> audience that gets to hear that. Uh. That's amazing. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's pretty cool. Um, but something I noticed was because of my context teaching in the rural deep south in really segregated mm. schools in communities that are population-wise about 50% white, 50% black, but mm. the student body at the schools I taught in were almost always, you know, 98, 99% black or African American students. Um thinking about race really came to the forefront of my understanding. And then I became increasingly aware of how my experience as an Asian American person didn't quite fit into that binary and yet really did interplay with that binary. And um, so I started to become really curious, examining episodes in my own life, talking to mentors and colleagues who also identify as Asian American and realizing that this particular stereotype, this model minority myth that is so entrenched now in particularly American culture, um, really does affect the experience of so many people within that giant Asian American umbrella. Mm. So do we have a basic third grade level <laughs> definition? <laughs> yes, that's good. We'll minority. start there. Um, so a model minority is a minoritized group that is deemed to have been more successful, quote unquote, than other minoritized groups. So whether that be economic success, educational success, or so on, that minoritized group, the model minority group is seen as having better assimilated into the dominant mainstream culture. Um, they might be seen as, you know, behaving better than other groups. But what you hear in my definition is inherent to it is this continuous status as the other, right? They're Mm. defined by being compared to other minority groups. They're not the dominant group. They still maintain this position as kind of outside the mainstream, but are almost to or almost touching 
the mainstream. So in the context of the United States and much of the white Western world, that group, um, the model minority has been assigned to Asian people, specifically some East and South Asian groups of people. But then it, it, it becomes this more pervasive stereotype that lumps in all these people underneath it as well. Right. That, that makes sense. Could you give us an example of that trope being used against you or in your favor? What could that look like? One of the moments I first really experienced it for myself, um, I had a job and I got my yearly performance review and my manager in that work had not actually observed me <laughs> at all at my job. Um, but So I got this like pretty nice performance review, but the things that it said that I was good at are not things that I would necessarily say mm -hmm. that I'm very good at. So it was like, oh, Sarah is so organized and polite and all these things that, you know, maybe I'm fine, but it didn't, mm -hmm. nothing that I had mm -hmm. actually done or worked on was here. And I looked at it and I was like, this, it, it really struck me. And sometimes mm -hmm. you just know when you're being, you know, it's a stereotype that's playing out on that paper. And I was thinking, these are positive things, quote unquote, but this is not me. This is just because right. I am the one Asian person on this team. And these are all the characteristics that I've heard my whole life about what Asian people, especially Asian American women, would, you know, be representing in the workplace. A correlation to that, I'm not sure if there's a term coined for it, but the model sports myth, because <laughs> I grew up playing football and on the team, I remember one year there was this kid, he was black, slender, looked fit. So all the coaches wanted him to be a wide receiver. They put him on the starting team and everything. And this boy could not catch. Like, <laughs> he had no coordination whatsoever, but they forced it for about two or three games until they found out like, yeah. man, all right, you didn't live up to our expectations. <laughs> but that's an example on the other side. No, that's a per that's a perfect comparison because it gets to this idea that, OK, what are what are you complaining about? These are good things. This is a good stereotype. Don't you want to be seen as organized or good at sports or whatever it is? But what that what that ignores is all the negative consequences that come along with even a quote unquote good stereotype. Right. So. Um, an example might be because like that guy wasn't actually the fastest wide receiver. So he wasn't being seen for who he really is. It erases the individual. In the case of my performance review, I wasn't being seen for what I could really do. It erased the individual. Mm -hmm. um, there's a reason that a lot of major companies and organizations have um, Asian Americans who are rising up the ranks of leadership, but very, very rarely in the top leadership positions, because some of the qualities of that are the positive things are, you know, hardworking, organized, really great for middle management, but not necessarily charismatic, creative leadership material. So you're, you're getting your, um, ignoring other potential positives like on the sports field the guy in your football team might have had other really good talents but they were being ignored because there was an assumption that he would just be good at this one thing yeah i think that's a really interesting point uh, coming from your writing your article uh, you say within the myth of the model minority 
Tiger moms force children to work harder and be better than everyone else, while nerdy, effeminate dads hold prestigious but not leadership positions in STEM industries like medicine and accounting. And I don't know, I thought that point was very insightful uh, because to receive the praise and to receive the promotion, but at some level, uh, not being recognized in a leadership position, there still remains a glass ceiling. Yeah, we call it the bamboo ceiling. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a new, t- that's a new yeah. term. There you go. Bamboo ceiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe it's a generational thing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when new immigrants, they come over to America, uh, it's a completely foreign land and you adopt the culture that you see as the most dominant and play by those rules. So if I go to school, I don't cause trouble. You know, I go to chess class and uh, speak perfect English, then I too may have the chance to be accepted into the club. But then you ask at what cost? Right. Do I have to relinquish my identity? Do I have to relinquish who I am, my culture, how much I'm willing to give up of myself for acceptance? That seems like those are ideas that are debated within oneself and and within one's family. Yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot there. I think it's helpful to kind of look at the history of this for most of the history of the United States. the dominant stereotype about Asian people was centered primarily on Chinese people. And it was this idea of the yellow peril. Um, And it started with Chinese workers coming through the West Coast um, who- During the gold rush. Yeah, and people and the railroads and all that. And people were afraid of these dirty, lecherous illegals, quote unquote, who were coming to steal jobs from quote unquote, good, hardworking Americans, which is a stereotype that we see replicated right now with other groups. And in fact, U.S. Border Patrol efforts were not really a thing until they started ramping up to stop Chinese immigration, undocumented Chinese immigration from the northern border. And so now we see how that stereotype has been repurposed and used on a whole entirely different group as instead. Um, There was the Chinese Exclusion Act, which explicitly banned huge groups of people from coming into the United States. So yes, there was this underground system through which people could come, but for a lot of American history, you really didn't have diversity within the Asian American community who was coming to the United States in any significant numbers. And the, the stereotypes that prevailed were really ones of otherness or these evil foreigners coming in. That starts to shift. This this model minority myth we've been talking about starts to take hold around the World War II era, mm. where we want China to be our ally in the Second World War against Japan. So it's a bad look that we're not allowing Chinese people into this country. And suddenly you see propaganda start shifting instead of seeing these, um, you know, men with squinty eyes and the long ponytail, their cue. Instead, you start to see these like really happy looking Chinese families who are fighting for America with us. Um, And 
by the 50s, that has really taken hold. There's the interesting story, which was told on the PBS Asian Americans documentary about uh, Toy Len Goon, who was American Mother of the Year. And she was a Chinese laundry worker who um, in Portland, Maine, didn't speak English, but she was made Mother of the Year that year because her husband had been an Asian American soldier. He fought for the US. Um, her children were all going on into these stereotypical industries like law and medicine. Mm. And, you know, they're saying this is what assimilation looks like. This is what a good immigrant citizen looks like. And of course, it's advantageous. Any person coming to a country for whatever reason wants to have the best possible life for themselves and for their children. And so if you see, oh, if we just play by these rules, mm we will do slightly better than other people. That's that's part of where this keeps being replicated in Asian communities too. Because I this model minority myth, these are all things that I've heard in my own house all the time growing up. These are not just messages that we hear from the outside. These are often told within our own communities too. Encouraged to follow a particular pathway, right? a prototype yeah. of success. And it really, because now the immigration laws favor people with um, who are coming in with particular skilled backgrounds or higher education degrees, that means that now you have a lot of people who you can uphold and be like, yes, look at these Asians who are doing well. Yeah. It's true that there are certain groups, South Asian women, um, Taiwanese women actually earn more per dollar than the average white man in the United States. Yeah. So that is true. Flip side is it really erases, you know, Asia is a giant it's like a giant it's huge right? <laughs> right so it erases the fact that there are other asian groups that are really struggling mm. so pacific islanders are often completely erased from this conversation even though we now use the terms aapi or apa to talk about asians and pacific islanders at once but they are not part of this model minority thing southeast asians so a burmese woman will make 50 cents for that white man's $1, right? So Southeast Asian immigrants are often um, here because they are families of war or conflict, often that is caused by US imperialism in the first place. Um, there's so many different reasons and experiences and identities that fall within this Asian American umbrella, but the most successful and largest groups tend to really dominate the conversation. Right, and that leaves people who are not in that group more invisible. Yeah. And that leads to people not acknowledging and tending to this specific group's needs and their particular experience, and instead lumping them into a larger group that is perceived to be more successful, uh, leaving their experience forgotten. Yeah, definitely. I see that working with educators all the time who um, tend to think, okay, these kids, they've got parents who really care about education. They're hardworking, but they don't really speak up in class because they're so compliant and quiet um, and kind of just let Asian identifying students coast a little bit without realizing that actually there's often a lot going on. I'm thinking about a situation where a teacher had a Hmong refugee child in her class in particular, and um, or the child of Hmong refugees and just hadn't, hadn't expressed curiosity until we got into a conversation about, you know, 
you know, you're making excuses in a way that I don't hear you making for other kids. And it, it was like, what I, what I heard come out of the person's mouth was all these internalized stereotypes about what it means to be an Asian person. Right. So, so this is tricky. As a parent, as an Asian American parent, well, all parents, you want your child to be successful, right? But how do you balance wanting your child to be the best that they can be, but at the same time, not be pigeonholed into a specific identity of what they should be and reflect what society tells them they should be? Yeah, it's it's tough because of course you want that. I think it is important that we recognize the difference between, you know, in individual or group excellence and then just like assumed stereotypical excellence because one of them sees the actual person and their experiences and the other one doesn't. Um, I like to think that, you know, I was, I'm a successful person. I've done a lot of pretty cool things, but like that, that, uh, (laughs) but that performance review was not, was not it. Hmm. Right. Even though it was also an excellent performance review, it just wasn't it. So I would rather be seen for what I have done or haven't done than for this assumption. I think for parents, it's helping. It's just like any parent, the advice we give, right. is like really know your child, know who they are foster their interests. Yes, of course you have dreams for them, but they also have dreams for themselves. And how do you, how do you find this in between? One of the things that's really tricky is the way this conversation often happens in the home is Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, this model minority idea, what it serves to do is it perpetuates anti-black racism. And that's probably like, if I could underline Mm -hmm. any point about this myth, that's what I would say, because the flip side of any positive stereotype about a group, you know, if there's a positive stereotype about a group, by definition, another group must be fulfilling the negative flip side of it. Mm. So the stereotype that says, oh, Asians are the hardest working minoritized group, that means that there are other groups that must not be hardworking. Or if you say, oh, they're the best behaved, that means there must be other groups who are seen as not well behaved. And we know, and we've had so many conversations in recent months about this, that the group that most often is at the bottom of that racial hierarchy is Black people in this country. Um, And I'll be honest, as Asian Americans, we've often played into this. We don't talk nearly as much about our histories of cross-racial solidarity, of which there are many. We talk a lot more about, you know, Black versus Asian incidents, racism, all of this. And it's partly because newer Asian immigrants to this country might not know the history of cross-racial solidarity of our collective civil rights struggles. Instead, what we see is, like you've said, this is a good idea. If I just play into this, if I assimilate, if I push my kids hard, I can make it pretty well. What that does instead is it's pushing ourselves up by intentionally pushing other people down. Absolutely. And I think in a historical context, it was a weapon used to separate and divide the groups. Mm -hmm. Right. when in reality, there's a lot of similarity in experiences and everybody goes through their own forms of discrimination, their own forms of marginalization. But that feeling 
of being marginalized. I don't care if you're a woman, you're a homosexual, you're black, you're whoever, you know the pain of discrimination or not getting the credit that you feel you deserve or not getting the respect and the acknowledgement for your achievements, no matter how hard you try. Right. (laughs) That feeling, that very human quality that that human existence is is felt throughout um, it might be felt in different ways and might be in different circumstances but that feeling is the same um and so i think well specifically specifically for black americans is like hey you know d- please don't try to be like us right? <laughs> <laughs> like be yourself with, with whatever you do don't right <laughs> do not try to you know what i'm saying be you be you and have uh, confidence and assurance in what you are in that identity mm-hmm. right and um that that confidence that you have in your identity that doesn't take anything away from me it doesn't make me less of me um and, and I think that's an important note, right? And can bring the, the, the cultures and diversity of thought and uh, history together. Yeah, I completely, I relate to that in a lot of ways. I think one of the things that's been so, f- not funny, but interesting to me is this paradox that exists in are these stereotypes like what you're talking about so this idea oh asians are really assimilated and they're such model americans but they're also perpetual foreigners right we're hearing um, in the same week i saw i won't mention names but some um some names tweeting things like oh racism cannot exist look at how well the asians are doing this is how the model minority myth is weaponized against black Americans, right? As people are saying, black lives matter, we need to really focus on systemic racism and inequality in this country. Other people are like, oh, but look at these Asians. And we've already said that model minority myth is actually not really based entirely on reality either. So they're saying that. And at the same time, we've got the president saying the Kung flu, right? So it's like this, you're also a foreigner, you're also an other. And these two paradoxical things exist. And it's like you're saying, we need to stop trying to just battle between these two extreme stereotypes of you're either still this evil foreigner or you're this perfect model, quote unquote, you know, American, which means like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant American, which you're not that either. So like, how do we just be ourselves as individuals, as communities? share our stories, you know, find solidarity with other groups, because that, you know, as is said, our liberation is all tied up with each other's. So we really need to be not trying to pull one group up by putting others down. Um, We need to be recognizing that, you know, there are inequities that exist in this country, and it is to everyone's advantage for us to address these. I think it's interesting. You work with kids in I wonder, uh, do you see implicit bias begin to develop and emerge um, with them? Is there a time period where that begins to emerge? 
So there's a lot of research that shows that kids start to have racialized sense making of the world from very, very young, from, you know, toddlers even. Mm. Um, e there's even research that shows that infants as young as three months, they respond more to faces that match the racial background of their caregivers than other caregivers, than other faces, which makes mm -hmm. perfect sense, right? This is like sure. biological safety thing that they're reaching out to people who look like those but very quickly especially as language acquisition happens as they're exposed to the messages just in the world around them um, they start to then assign those it's not it's no longer just difference it's also behavioral explanations so we see that you know racialized beliefs about other kids often peak around like three to five years old you see this on the playground you see this pretty young but then also certain kids learn pretty early to not ask questions anymore um there's the a common example told of like a white mom and child in a grocery store and the child sees a black person the child's like mom why is why is his skin like that why is his hair like that and the mom is a little bit mortified and it's like shh, 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 <laughs> like stop don't do that yeah they're just curious. and what yeah what the child has internalized is oh i'm not supposed to say this i'm not supposed to notice this there must be something wrong about me or there must be something wrong about him and so they're left to make their own interpretations about what's going on mm. and that's what so we start to see these internalized you know unstated implicit racialized beliefs really starting as kids are in that kind of mid-grade elementary level, unless they have explicit conversations. So the research also shows, this is the positive, happy side of it, explicit conversations with kids as young as five to seven about race has, and you know, interracial friendship can have profound lasting impacts on their attitudes in as little as a couple weeks. So you can have- wow conversations explicitly. It's not like the bear and the fox are friends. It's like, no, I, this is the correct terminology for how I identify or how you identify. And, you know, these are some of the issues that exist and we can be friends and they can get that. And, you know, it also helps to destigmatize it. We as adults are so afraid of having the conversation often because we make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. We all make mistakes with the conversation. Um, but kids, you know, haven't necessarily learned that this is they should be terrified of having the conversation yet so we should be having the conversation with them they see color you know the idea of i don't see color is complete nonsense they see difference they just you know don't understand if we don't talk to them about what that means they're going to come up with their whole own set of meanings and then all the stereotypes reinforced in the media and the tv they watch all the stuff is going to help fill in the gaps for them in a way that we probably don't want to have happening I'll leave you with this to take us all home. What advice would you give immigrants who newly arrived to America who may be harboring the expectation to be a model minority? When you ask that question, I think about my mother. My mother is Malaysian Chinese, and she didn't come to the United States until actually after I was born. Um, and for a long time, I saw her really playing into this idea. Um, she was all excited when that Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother book came out, 
which is, <laughs> I have a lot of yeah. issues with it because it really yeah. hurt my high school experience in a lot of ways. Actually, it came out after I was in high school, but that mentality um, really affected me. So I wish, you know, but now she's going through a reckoning. Now she's seeing the protesters. Now she's seeing um, people more explicitly talking about racial equity. Now she's seeing stories of, you know, Asian and Black racial cross-racial solidarity actually being told historical examples and she's going like wow i didn't i didn't know this before um and i think that's the advice i would give is it's good to hold on to and be proud of wherever you come from as an immigrant we hold on to our backgrounds with a lot of pride and that's so important and we also exist in this new country that is um, unfamiliar in a lot of ways, has its own structures and ways of being and mm. norms that are, are difficult to navigate. So I think it's important to take the time to look around us and say, okay, why is this the way it is? Why am I experiencing this? Why are other people experiencing this? What do I need to know for myself, for my family, um, in my workplace that'll help me go. A lot of organizations and companies now are ramping up their employee resource groups that are often org organized around like racial affinity or other forms of affinity. Those are wonderful resources if they exist for, for listeners because um, that's a place where you can hear. And those have been transformative for me because I heard other people in my organization going through the exact same stuff and realizing, wow, I'm not the crazy one. The system is kind of messed up and we collectively can actually do something about this. So I would just say educating yourself and finding people who you can talk to. That's the best advice I could give. Thank you to Lee Researcher, Con Branch, Assistant Producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.